Hey guys, this Saturday, uh, complexcon.com in LA, or not even LA, I think it's somewhere in the outskirts, but you'll figure it out. Complexcon.com, 10.30 to 12.30, I will be at the K-Swiss booth with a huge question mark. Uh, If you are a flipper and you are in the LA uh, Valley area, come out, get a ticket, check out Complexcon, and stop by and come and take your selfie and pick up your secret. 10.30 to 12.30, this Saturday, complexcon.com, come see me. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. On today's podcast, you are going to get a very special episode of 4Ds. We would love to hear what stuck out from this episode and what you connected with most. So please tweet us at Gary V with your comments. With a small group, we can go very, hopefully we can go around a couple times. Very specific, like very specific questions like we did with Ben. I'm ready to go. Super. So, a little bit of context. Uh, we had the chance yes. to chat recently, so I'll dive right in. Um, four legs to our stool, consulting, training, research, solutions. I remember. Shifted from a hybrid government and corporates focus to just companies now. That's interesting from a content and digital perspective because now we can lean out a bit more and talk about who we're working with, the type of work we're doing, those types of things. Uh, one of the challenges we found specifically has been now that we're in that space and can create, you know, kind of develop content, you know, start to um, do more in the digital space is thinking about audience. So in the corporate space, our our prospective client or, or uh, point of contact is very disparate, right? So could be a chief HR officer, could be a chief security officer, could be the CEO, could be a COO. Or the spouse of those people. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So as I think about kind of how we go about our, our content development. What what are your thoughts with respect to targeting strategy? If it's, if you have a limited if you have limited uh, uh, resources, yeah. you pick one. Got it. Yeah. Start there. Make that mm-hmm. the lever. The the lever is con- the all of this is built on. It's going to be your answer as well. All of this is built on context. Everyone's infatuated with the content because it's important. It's the output. Your world, my world, like. However, all the upside from a strategy standpoint is understanding context. Because then you're able to create content contextually, right. which disproportionately creates relevance, which relevance and meaning something to somebody is why every person in this room is wearing what they're wearing or what they're gonna eat is what they're gonna eat. So, you know, to answer your question, in a world where like, hey Gary, I'm crippled, it could be the CFO, it could be the CEO, it could be the CHO, I'm like, cool, pick one. It's really as simple as that. Got it. Okay. My argument is you can get to a lot of them by understanding copy. Sure. Right? There is no question to me that a PDF, a deck, an audio file, a video can be made and if you rant on it as first person or if you create something amazing, it can actually touch on all three of the demos. Mm-hmm. I can talk about the financial impact of something and the retention of employees because of that decision and the top line revenue growth probably within two minutes. And then if I change the copy on a LinkedIn post that expands on that Mm -hmm. and targets a CFO and really just narrows in on the financial ramifications, I've now actually made one piece of content with an additional five minutes of post copy Mm -hmm. that did make it seem as if I made three. That's how I think about it. Okay, good. And I know we got a lot done with fear and not fear and stuff. Yeah, and exactly. I, so I'll just keep going around, yeah, but yeah, keep, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, so we've done a good job. So we're turnkey in-house, right? So we kind of are in that, the, the motto was AOR, AOR, 
contacts, a director, a DP, all these things. So, as a production, as a production. So we started just doing small productions with 14 people in house, but we're freelance as you needed. We're well now we're turnkey. Everyone's salaried, so everyone's in house salary, and we've become. Our goal was to become a voice of the industry. So we wanted to, the tech companies to say, here, here's a camera, here's the battery. So now we have sponsors as influencer in the market, right? Uh, that's how we play in that game. So we have access to the best technology in the world, best products in the world. Now we can offer that to our clients. And that's one item of the P&L we're saving on. But anyway, we uh, started getting agency work, which then was direct to brand work. And now we're working with big brands like Under Armour, Reebok, those types of brands. And we're doing campaigns for them project-based. Uh, but we're seeing more and more opportunity present like long-form original series. So we're trying to break into that more. We have a series for our own brand in-house to continue our voice in the industry. But we also want to, we have opportunities to sell those series to brands now. So the brands that we work with. So there's a challenge and an opportunity. The challenge is, you know, we're seeing more and more project-based work, more rather than like annual, uh, budgets being signed because most people are coming directly to us now based on projects so they can't pick us so as we want to push more original content more original series we're trying to figure out that balance in how to present that to people making less money yeah. the way you'll get to what you want to do quicker uh, which is not my favorite word but the answer to your question in that framework is completely predicated on how little margin you're willing to make in the net. And we, we've been able to do that because we are salaried, because yeah. we are people, and we'll actually do a project for, that's how we got under our project sure. for free to get to this to that. Sure. We'll continue to do that. We see monetization opportunities on long form in the future. I get it. Um, do you see a future in that though? In, yes. the, in the original series? Yes. Where brands are the, yeah. And then that ultimately but, the problem for you is, the problem for me is, when you're playing something that will be more accepted 39 months from now than today, it becomes one game, margin. Yeah, but when you're the first to market, you're the first to market. Margin, yeah. because when you're first to market, the sales cycle's longer, the margin, the execution's lower, and you need the critical mass in the net to actually make it viable. So when we- This is purely an investment. And so once you wrap your head around that like cleanly and don't create any other variables, then you can decide, hey, last year we made 13% net profit or 39 or four or 300. This year we're gonna make two. And we're okay with that because us founders don't need the bonus, the distributions or whatever else the hell you're thinking about. It's very important. It's how I built Vayner. It's how everything works in my opinion in this way. Can I ask you about yeah. the investment side? So on the investment side, we're obviously investing in that long-term time on these projects. Higher stakes, right? Less mm -hmm. project count, mm -hmm. lower margins, but bigger bigger projects ultimately. So, But the investment, obviously we're taking an investment on that end. The volume's not the same. But you're, taking the, you're taking the investment really to get them sold. Yeah. Right? The marketing side of that, right? Meaning like actually getting people to watch the it? Output of our behind the scenes content that could then... Yeah, I, I think you've already made that macro decision. You've already amortized that in equipment on itself. Right. You already believe in that. That's your religion. I don't look at that as investment. Right. I view that as your actual oxygen. Yeah. You've already made that decision. True. I know. Yeah. So I think the bigger question is, are you okay with leaving? I mean, this is a, this is a speed and, and resources and management game. Yeah. Are you willing to leave the easy 200, 800, 
4.3 million in revenue here, because you only have 14 fucking people, yeah. that'll become 19, that'll become 47. But if you're gonna invest in being in the long form business, you know what's gonna happen. What happens when that third episode comes out shitty according to Reebok and now you got a problem, you gotta fly to fucking Boston. Those are all things that are different than making your clean 20% off a $113,000 execution. Yeah. Different business. It is different. So with that, can I, I don't wanna monitor. No, no, we got time. Um, so when we are presenting, sometimes there'll be an opportunity, hey, here's the new shoe do your thing, and then sometimes stay within these realms, but we are seeing more opportunity where we can present to them, we own it, they put their name on it. Uh, even more friction of patience. Yes. Because even if you get the brand person to say yes, then it goes up the ladder and like, these schmucks in Virginia are gonna fucking own it? Fuck that. Especially when we, because there's opportunities in Netflix and Amazon that we can monetize. Yes, if you can sell it. Yeah. Like, let's talk about real investment. Yeah. It's great in theory but so is communism. You know, like you coming up with a great show about two athletes that came from the gutters of fucking Miami to become great speed runners. When you pitch that to Amazon or Quibi or Warner or Peacock or Hulu, that's not so easy to sell. So now you flew to LA, now you got dicked around by four different OTTs who hold you up and waste another 47 hours of your time through phone calls and pitches who say, yeah, 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 and then say, no, nah, we're not gonna go with that. So the play's not there. Oh, the play's there. <clears throat> but the second you bring in a brand, how many branded series that were paid for upfront by the brand are running right now on OTTs successfully? Very little. Correct. You can do anything. We you see can them in niche markets, outdoor markets. Yeah. Under Armour Hunt does it a lot. Yep. Realtree, yeah. Meat Eater with Steve Ranella. Really there's stuff. Yeah. But but there's stuff. But you you're talking about real OTT. Yeah, yeah. You're talking real shit. I mean, you can do anything if you go direct to consumer. Yeah. You're asking the most important entertainment platforms in the world currently to say your product that you're pitching them that is sponsored by Under Armour is equal to something that's being made by Steven Spielberg. And the amount, this is all about investment. Right. I spend an ungodly amount of time on investment for things that drive my CFO crazy. I'm with you. I'm I know you're with me. me. I'm listening. I'm I'm yeah, I got it. So, you know what's so funny about me is people say I don't listen, I interrupt people, this and that. I just have so much pattern recognition of being an entrepreneur my whole literal life, and I spend so much time listening when I'm not in front of a camera that I gave you the answer within the first four seconds. We're gonna go through it because I wanna make sure you got the T's and the I's, but we'll go right back to it. This is a 100% investment. What's your appetite for lack of margin? Because there's no other way. Which also speaks to having to be able to be in a place where you're growing the offense while you're spending more time on the defense. Knicks last night, were within three and decided to put a defensive unit off a timeout, which made sense, except that the Bulls scored five points in two seconds and we were back down by eight and had to call another timeout and put back out the offense. That's the decision Coach Fisdell made. Luckily, the Knicks rallied and won, but that would have been the critical point where he lost because he decided at that point it was time to invest in defense and unfortunately the market, aka the Bulls, said go fuck yourself. That's your game all the top line revenue you're gonna give up because there's only so much 
you know, entrepreneurs like you and me think we can do 280%, not 100%. Just not true. Yeah. There is a number. Some can do 280, but that doesn't mean you can do 390. And so that's the game. The only other variable in your life to play this out is what you're willing to give up in leisure or time efficiency. Most of what I'm successful at is completely predicated on actually having four minute meetings when it's a four minute meeting instead of a 30 minute meeting. That is, if I'm really starting to understand myself, I'm like, oh right, zero waste. Mm -hmm. Creates vulnerability because you have a meeting and you leave and nobody knew what the fuck you just said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I'd still rather do that for four minutes than 29 minutes because then once I realize a week later nobody knew what I said, you have another eight minute meeting with the context of them not knowing and you get it done and so now you're in for 12 instead of 30. That's the game you're in. The only other way you pull this off is you get phenomenal at your efficiency and you give more hours to it. Because what breaks the move that you're talking about every day of the week out there is the second that the projects don't come in at the revenue that you thought while you're doing the investment and now you're stuck. You see that's what we're seeing. We're seeing those, those conversions are longer, projects last longer, but they're bigger gross. Sure. They're, they're much bigger gross. That makes sense. And then they ultimately fuel when you talk about dive and skim, it's dive, fuel, and skim for the brand. So there's, it's, it's, it's coming. I believe you. Yeah. I just want to make sure you're not at the mercy of distribution. You'll get murdered. Yeah. They don't, they're going to say no before you even walk in without saying no. Prove it first. No, they're going to listen to your idea to create context because they're in the business of sitting and having meetings and hearing ideas but they're not gonna fund, they're not gonna put on air something that you're funding on the back end on a brand because they want to be in that business. Well, on the distribution model, there's a challenge because our success is predicated on the ROI. The, the business says, hey, we don't want to re-up. Well, I, I'm, I'm speaking in theory here. They, they, we Nobody sell them this it. giant campaign. Nobody saw it. Exactly. So, do, so then we have to partner with a, a buying. Or you, become, yeah, or you become somebody who can get distribution. Yeah. That's why we won. We only thought about both. I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I know, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was a little nerdy. Uh, mine's a little more, not as complex. Um, so I did my 10,000 hours on the creative side of branding and advertising. And, um, did about, Malcolm Gladwell give you a bow? Pardon? Did Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> give you a bow? No. Um, unforgiving. Yep. Uh, and about five years ago, I decided um, after, well, just to go back a little bit, I got divorced and started thinking what can I do versus what I can't do because I can't do it. So um, I started painting and I realized that, uh, you know, five hours would go by, it seemed like 10 seconds. Mm. And so I started doing that as therapeutic um, uh, exercise, and people started asking me how many I'd sold. And I, you know, uh, so I started selling them. I'd done about five years of doing art shows and, you know, 15, 20 art shows a year, showing my work, selling it. And um, that's a lot of lugging, it's a lot of insight from the marketplace, what people like, what they don't like. I love that. I love interacting with people. I love selling the artwork. Yep. 
Then I decided, okay, uh, how do I monetize this beyond selling original artwork? Because, uh, you know, there's a billion, everybody's an artist. Um, so I just recently started this online gallery on this platform, artstorefronts.com, which is set up for artists. Yep. You don't have to do a lot of the development work. And I sat down and started to figure out to myself, okay, I put a lot of brands on the, on the, on the map. How do I do it for myself? Okay. And that's why I'm here, because uh, I'm not quite sure how to position and package myself to appeal to the two markets that I'm trying to appeal to, which is the person that's going into home goods and yep. buying a $40 yep. piece of shit. Yep. Um, and to the person that's going to buy a $35, $4,500 piece of original artwork. Yep. Well, as you can imagine, you need to be in different places and you need to show up different. But the good news is there's only, there's only 10, 12, 15 places on top of something called the internet that are good places for people that don't have millions of dollars to spend on media. And the reason every word out of my mouth has been TikTok and LinkedIn over the last four months is my expertise over the last 25 years as a marketer is to understand where there's attention for a good price. Zero is the best price. The fact that you can post a one minute video of you painting on TikTok right now and get 800,000 views for zero dollars is not available to you, sir, anywhere else. The fact that people sit around and say things like, well, I can't do that, that's where my 14-year-old granddaughter lives, there's only kids there, people say no instead of yes. Has anybody heard of a granddaughter break? If the, first of all, that's not true. It's getting older by the second, but let's just say it was. Let's just say it was capped. It is only 12 to 16-year-old females in America for TikTok, which it is not, but let's just say it was. Has anybody heard of a granddaughter taking a phone and showing their grandmother this cool painting? Like, people are so funny. They're in the business of no instead of yes. So whether it's TikTok or LinkedIn, those are two very important platforms for you because you have to make content for those platforms because you're probably not gonna pour $10,000 a month in ads. You may, I have no idea of anything about you. Okay, you're not. So those you have to take very seriously. You know, that is the context that I need to do a better job to my audience of why I talk about it. I just did it, I'm glad I did. I hope Jason caught it. Like that is the punchline. Forever, it was email, it was organic Google search. The reason I would sit and spend seven hours a day in 1999 looking at the AS code of my website was I was getting educated on how to show up first on Google without buying Google AdWords before there were Google AdWords for the word Pinot Noir. Because if I know I did, 147 people would go to winelibrary.com in 2000 for no reason other than they searched Pinot Noir and I showed up first. And then I bought ads because they were five cents and that was a good deal for me and I could afford to buy $10,000 a month. And on and on and on. I'm not throwing around my phone number, 212-931-5731 for my community text platform for my health. It's because text messaging, my audience, converts better than anything else I can do and is the only thing that I've seen, including Twitter and Facebook, that looks like email looked like to me in 1997 where 90% of the audience that signed up actually saw it. 
you need to produce content in written, audio, or visual, clearly video form for what you do across the 10 platforms that matter. We have that, I don't know if we've done that, I don't know if we do that later. Did we do it already? You need to do that. You need to deploy self-awareness and figure out which one of those you can do. Your business is highly visual, so we're gonna kinda need you to be in picture and video form. Even if you were in video form and people only saw your back of your head, it could be a fucking tool time home improvement gag if you were so insecure, and I don't say that in a Raz way, I say it in a compassion way, if you were so insecure that you couldn't show your face. Great, let's film you back to canvas to audience, but you need to produce pictures and videos on the internet. It's more important than making the art. It's more important than making the art. Nobody knows you can't sell shit. Right. When I tell you that I started this company 10 years ago, which got made fun of by every one of my friends because building a client service business is not a smart business for where I was at in my professional career, it's because my belief was there was nothing left except communication. If tomorrow I decided to pick a random artist, I would make them be the kind of artist that can sell $5,000 paintings because I would out-communicate everybody and that would create demand. The end. Got it. Thank you. Now it becomes, now what I just said to you is, oh, you want to get healthier? You have to eat well and exercise. And you're like, not Botox? I'm like, no. You're like, not, you know, ass implants? I'm like, no. You're like, not <laughs> detox tea? No. Not steroids? No. You're like, got it. Now you have to do it. And the way I best learned that people will do it is how I got to, you have to be self-aware. You might love to write. And that, may, and that may sound crazy to a lot of people, like he's a fucking artist that writes. I think it's kind of rad. If you wrote a crazy manifesto, and I'm glad to hear you're a good writer, on LinkedIn with no visual support, that you just magically like enamored all of us with the written words of how you came up with the painting idea, and then there was a click out to the painting, that might be intrigued. Less people would see it because the friction of clicking out. More people may convert because of the way you did it. Gotta play. The thing I'm most proud of is I play. I'm okay with not doing well in likes and shares or what's best practices because I know I have to figure it out. Not, yesterday doesn't mean anything to me. Let me phrase. Yesterday means slightly more, less to me than trying to figure out today. Right. I, love the con- I, love, I love the context of yesterday. I like not to repeat the same mistakes and I would like to use what I've learned to deploy in the context. But today's the game. Not three years from now, I know VR's coming, not interested. Not three years ago. Everyone's so scared that they massively overvalue yesterday. Yes, I'm struggling with myself about turning the table from being behind the camera to being in front of it, in other words. There's a way to do it, maybe not be in front of the camera. Right, right? back to the back, back well, to I, just I showing the picture. The yeah, got it. Yes, you know, that's exactly right. They're, correct, correct. The that's just insecurity of the product you're right. selling. I'm aware. I know you know it. That's just you casting your own judgment of like, I don't have permission to do this, I just started. Guess what? LeBron was good his rookie year. Maybe you're just fucking naturally talented. I am, I'm incredible. I believe it. (laughs) No, but, but, but honestly, honestly, that's it. That makes so much sense based on the narrative. You're like, fuck, I just took this up. Who am I to charge 5,000? Don't this. No, it's not that. Okay. It's not that, it's the entering into the, Marketing myself as the product versus marketing 
this gentleman's business is the product. That goes to the insecurity in the product, my right. friend. I'm telling you, whether it's whether it's the version of who am I, or right. I like, or you've overvalued being understated, or you philosophically have put being behind the scenes on a pedestal as a more proper way to go and you're not a charlatan or a fame whore, whatever you've decided in your brains, that's what we have to break down. Yeah, probably all the above. I believe it. Right. They're the cliche reasons. Right. You know, people are like, Gary, personal brand, that's so yucky. I'm like, cool, call it reputation. So for us as a nonprofit, I mean, we do great work, nobody is pro-bully, right? right. So <laughs> the argument is easy. But when it comes to converting to donations, yes. converting to new partnerships, yes. getting that, going from awareness to active leaning in. Yeah, I'm super excited we're talking about this because I'm going to a Raised by Us event tonight, which I'm on the board of, and I'm on the board of Pencils of Promise and Charity Water. I have some, I would argue that some of the best marketing work in my, I'm very funny, I'm very comfortable in promoting my business ventures because I like capitalism, um, but I'm very, very quiet with my altruism, um, but I spend a lot of time on it. I'm gonna give you a really interesting insight. The number one vulnerability to nonprofits is audacity. If you, if you macro analyze the communication of nonprofits, they speak to us as if we should donate to this and it completely fundamentally turns us off. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Why should I? You mean what, to educate people on their interests? If you look carefully, and I'm very, it's funny to have Spanky, like I'm very, you know, it's funny, I'm, I was so, I'm so bad at grammar, forget about I was, just because the way I learned and probably because I'm probably dyslexic and because I'm an immigrant, there's a lot of reasons probably, but nonetheless, I'm deeply passionate about words. I'm good at it as a human. Um, they matter. And, and when I got into nonprofit work, I wanted to be effective. You know, it was like, hey, here comes the whiz kid in marketing. I'm like, fuck, I better, you know, I rarely do work, but I did some work on this. And it was, and I'm also very intuitive, back to quick answers. I'm like, oh, fuck. These guys are terrible at marketing because they're entitled and audacious. And then when I started really getting into the world, and I'm not speaking for you, but I was stunned by how many people are non-operational in the nonprofit world, right? You have a lot of, it makes sense, right? Like, both my kids could go that route, right? You go away from the, you know, the wealth creation and you're like, I'm gonna give back, but you've never done anything. So it, not only was it audacious and condescending, it was ideological and not practical. So that is the huge vulnerability to why nonprofits, in the macro, without knowing anything, I think you need to really think about that. You know, how is that manifesting in what you're creating? The answer is, listen, it's so fun to have the prime of my life's work being built this communications framework that made no sense when I did it and starting to make sense to people right now but they're still grossly underestimating what I'm actually doing. There's nothing left but what I'm doing. Everything's a commodity except the awareness and communication because of how life actually works. Like, of course that camera's a higher quality. Of course print and original is different. Of course bullying's different than, you know, cancer. But, but it's more commoditized than people think. What's not commoditized is the ability to get somebody to know and care. To getting somebody to know and care, you first have to deploy empathy, not audacity. It's the reason we have such a problem socially in our country. There's no empathy from either direction. Literally yesterday morning on the way to work, I had a 15 minute conversation with a woman who told me that I was a very bad guy when I spoke at a company last week because I was using white privilege because I was cursing and if I wasn't a white male, I wouldn't be able to do that. 
99.999% of people would have deleted that email because it was pretty left field. I spent 15 minutes talking to her. I didn't find anything new, but I appreciated the conversation. Um, you need to be really smart. You're right. Nobody is against bullying. More importantly, nobody actually cares. And once you get to that realization, and here's why. You know who cares? The person whose kid becomes pre-suicidal because of bullying. The same person that cares about heart disease the second their dad dies of a heart attack. We have to get more empathetic. But we deploy too much, too much ideology. Like, I'm spending my life giving I don't need somebody yelling at me like, Gary, you don't care about fucking the turtles? You can't drink out of that fucking, you know, you know, straw. I'm like, I get it. I'm like, but you're wearing a Gucci bag and textiles are destroying our environment. We're, we're in hypocrisy, audacity mode in nonprofit land. What we have to do is go into contextual, creative at scale to create relevance. There's a video that I want you to watch. It was done by Sandy Hook. It was really good, remember that? Um, the, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I was actually talking to Katie because it was a big piece of contention, uh, not contention, it was a big conversation at VaynerMedia because I believe in long form videos instead of commercials and this was one of the best I'd ever seen. It was a video of what it looked to be is like a high school love story, but you remember? It's a great one. But it ended up being in every scene while you were paying attention to the sweethearts, the mass shooter was in the background and you only figured that out at the end. This is a data. I mean, I got like crazy goosebumps. It's a three, four minute video on YouTube. It crushed. Sandy Hook, promise. Continue writing. Yeah, uh, you know what? We'll have Nick send an email to all of you. He's probably looking it up right now if he's not eating and he'll find it. I want you guys, <laughs> the point is, what's amazing about bullying is it's a subconscious knowledge that it's a problem and what you need to do is make a two minute, 14 second video that is entertainment or information that captures the national, Coney, nobody fucking cared about that dictator in Africa until everybody saw it on YouTube. Got it? How I think about it is the Gary Vee model, which is the Vayner model, which again, Zach probably spoke to and with Nick here and others here we can go deeper into. I think your organization needs to put out 100 pieces of content a day. I think that's what you have to figure out. I'd rather, I'd rather you spend two hours less painting. I'd rather you fire three executives who actually aren't doing shit but being in meetings. You have to make. This is about ideas and making and nothing else. When you make that your religion, you start actually figuring, you know, everyone's like, Gary, how do, I mean, I had an employee who's been here for seven years say to me on the phone the other day when I said we have this huge Procter & Gamble conversation and I'm like, she's like, Gary, this is the staff we have. Like, you have to make a choice between LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm like, no I don't. You have to stop being in dumb fucking meetings for two hours a day and make it 41 so I can have both. Figure it out. You have to make. And you have to have African Americans in it and Asian Americans in it and Latino Americans in it and Latino Americans in Spanglish because then you might see, whoa, why is this resonating? We didn't even know that this was an underlining issue in the LATAM community in San Antonio but by making, when you make 100 pieces of content, you start making a San Antonio Spurs piece of content for, you know, you see where I'm going? That then gives you an insight because you're getting feedback and now you're like, now we know what two minute video to make. Let's make a video of, you know, an 84 year old 
and what bullying actually meant and how it transpired and what it actually meant. This is not about suicide and mass shootings. This is about an 84-year-old who's had 75 years of unhappiness, has four divorces that were ugly, not good, has, you know, a drug and like, like you see where I'm going? And that's just one, I mean, I just went into hypothesis mode. There's 700 other things you could go with. But for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for me, and for every single person, this is a game of contextual, creative, at scale, deployed against the platforms that actually have the attention of people, which then compels people to do something. And it is not one vanilla piece of content seen by everyone. It is contextual, creative, at scale. Right? You know? As you can imagine, now we're going very far-fetched, but if you're making a video of a make-pretend grandma that had a painting in her, in her, you know, in her kitchen for that kid's whole life, and that's why you need to buy one of my paintings for your kitchen, that's gonna strike the chord. Funny you say that because I tell, I tell people when they buy my art that, you know, it's touching their lives. They're gonna be looking at that all their life and their, and their kids are gonna be looking at it. And you can't put a price on that. Yeah, it's why I don't buy art because that doesn't do that for me, but I want photos of my family everywhere because that does do that for me. But to your point, yeah. like m- many, many people, most people actually do do that with art. I remember everything in my parents' home. I get it. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not actually regurgitating that. All the no, I totally get it. I totally get it. So, so that, 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 is, that is your requirement. It's awareness. But it's not just awareness, it's compelling somebody to do something. Compelling somebody to do something is based on them, not on us. So we talk down and we need to talk up. Got it? That tone, if you go through just every communication you do comes from that filter, you'd be stunned by how much more money you'll get. That's very helpful, thank you. You got it. So uh, as my brand has grown and as we have developed kind of a, a global awareness now, we have clients all over the world that use us, the opportunities for me to speak and take bigger stages is occurring more often. And so looking at growing the business further, I, I realized and recognized very quickly that every time we document those, those moments, every time we film those moments, that then turns into more content. But it's not necessarily content directed at the brand, it's content around my brand, my personal brand. So, so in looking at growing the brand further, we're trying to figure out, should we leverage the opportunities of me speaking on more stages and of me um, coaching or working with other companies? Because it's, it's interesting, the questions that I was asked a year ago, year and a half ago were, hey, how do I write effective ad copy? Now the question is, can you tell me again how you grew a business to from zero to seven figure business in like less than two years. Do you always answer I listen to Gary Vee? I do. <laughs> Gary, you know. You, I know you do, that's why I'm making that joke. Yeah, but, but you know, it's funny. I had this really surreal moment in, in the Nashville airport. I was speaking at a conference and this guy comes running up to me and I, I shared that, I sent you an email about it. I said, this guy came running up to me and he like, can I get it, can you sign my book? And I'm like, sure. And he said, your book changed my life. I'm like, how? Because I, I, I was kind of in the mindset of Ben going. I get it. On the receiving end. Right. And, and, but now that's happened a few times. And I'm like, The wow. answer is both. Okay. To your question. Both. Of course. So it's okay to, to diversify in terms of the company. Do you have any partners? My, my filmmaker today is my business partner. When you said get an ops guy, my, my video guy couldn't be here today. So Brandon came along. Yep. So 
he is a blessing to my business yep. that came directly from my conversation with I you remember. two years ago. I remember. So financially, you share you share the business. Yes. That's the only vulnerability. The only vulnerability to building a personal brand is the top of the funnel is who are the other stakeholders who fear that you're getting disproportionate leverage and can leave and they're the commodity. I don't think Brandon has an issue with that. Well, I can't speak for Brandon, but I can promise you the answer, that's, that's the answer to the question. The only reason anybody on earth should not build personal brand at scale is because somebody else who has financial vested interest subconsciously or consciously doesn't like it. Nothing else should stop anybody because it brings business in. It's top yeah. of the funnel. And, and by the way, your strength, LinkedIn strategy, holy shit. Listen. And, and it's not even just weekdays. Brother, I know. Listen, listen. I'm, eventually people are gonna understand. Like, I'm really great at what I do and I'm very quite unusual for giving it away for free at scale. And then if you want it deeply more contextual, sure, there's things like VaynerMedia, there's 4D, there's other things, but like, it's going to be like that forever. It, by the way, if there was documenting and video and YouTube when I was 22, it, I would already be there because I would have done the same thing and everybody would have gotten email and e-commerce and search and YouTube. Like You would have seen me make a YouTube video four months after YouTube came out and said this is gonna be the biggest thing and then we'd be sitting here and be like, how the fuck did he know that? Yeah, I did. Based on, based on what you've been preaching with the LinkedIn strategy, I've been doing that aggressively and I'll see on an average day 150 to 300 new followers. I'll see on a weekend 2,000 new followers. I get it. And I post LinkedIn is Facebook. It's crazy. 2012. It's crazy. But solid platform. Said it a billion times. Some people, like, nobody's doing it. Very few people are doing anything about it. What's ironic is my advice actually leads to my own downfall. If everybody listened to me and made content, then the organic reach would go down because it's just supply and demand. That's how much I know people don't do anything. I'm literally giving advice every single day that is at my own detriment. So you are coming from an immigrant family and I, I would love to have your point of view about that. So the French business is, um, is growing. It's, it's a family business. No, no, it's my business. Okay. Um, we are making four millions uh, that year in France. Okay. You say a lot about publishing out a lot of content, so yep. we did 500 videos in English, and the only thing that works is when I do videos with other English-speaking, well-known entrepreneurs. When okay. I, but when it's just me, myself, yep. it sucks. And I would love to have your vision. What's if, the definition of sucks? It doesn't get as many views? Yes, a okay. lot less of what, uh, of what I can do when I do a videos with, uh, like, I don't know, a well-known entrepreneur in some field or the producer of a lot of the rings, it makes a lot of views. But that, that would happen if it wasn't just English. That's not a French-English thing or accent thing. That's a, you're leveraging brand equity from somebody who's famous thing. But in, in, in France right now, it's, it's, I make more views if it's me speaking. Because you have more brand equity in that market. Yes, for sure. But also I can see that, uh, so my question is, if you were coming right now in the USA, or your father with not a perfect English, how you would leverage? By recognizing I can't change my accent. I, I, I do. 
even if I improve it, but... Uh, I wish I had his accent. It's not about my accent, it's more like... Um, I understand what you're saying. How do I... I'm, I'm sure that I can leverage who I am as a strength, but it's more... By having more patience and just putting out more content. And by understanding that Americans are naturally deeply, like deeply rooted in America. More than 50% of Americans don't have a passport. What you have to do is accept the truth and execute on the truth. Because it's like, I can see the growth of doing more interviews, I can see it's growing. But me doing, like, after 200 videos, it's like the same views at the beginning. I don't see improvements. I understand. And that's, and and that's frustrating. I think, I think there's a couple things. One, just continue to interview. Yes, for sure. And I love to do that. Great. I do it in, even in French as a kind of research. It's similar to some of the stuff we talked about. I'm very uh, blogging. So I'm right about email. I'm right about Google. I'm right about e-commerce. I'm right about search, and here comes this thing that I think is about to be big called blogging. And I look at it, 2002, and I'm like, fuck. I can't write. Me too. So I'm looking at it. In the history of my career, from May 1998 to right this second, there's only been one macro trend that I didn't dominate, blogging. You're gonna have your accent. Yeah, yeah. But Americans are never going to accept an accent more than an American accent. You just now have to decide what your strategy is. There's two moves. One, continue to interview at scale and do no independent solo English videos. Yeah. And then after three more years or a year or every year on fucking July, July 7th, try one and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Or go the other way and beat them into it. Believe so much in your message that you can be an outlier. Look, though different, I will tell you that when I hit the scene in 2009, wildly high energy, cursing, I was wildly not accepted. I had a lot of pushback. I just made everybody succumb. It's really your only two options. And I have one question about... Please. Like, you say a lot about um, being yourself when you do things like videos and things like that. What is like the line, the balance between um, staying yourself in the video, but yourself can, for example, I'm, I would not say that I'm an extrovert. I'm more introvert. Good. So Good. I learn to speak because I do a lot of speaking there's, engagement. But there's a lot of people that do extremely well that are quite, I mean, Tim Ferriss is not extroverted. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. And I, I love what he's doing. Good. There's your answer. There's no right, the, what's right is that Tim's Tim and I'm me. I hate when people try to be like me. I'm wildly entertaining. That's hard, that's a talent. I give a keynote like a stand-up gives a you know, performance. That's not going to be replicated. You have and, to be very insightful as well. Yes, I have other, th- to your point, well thank you for like, what I think people get confused with me in the other way is they just think I'm sizzle. Hmm. I, I would argue that I'm underrated intellectually because I'm sizzle. And this, like, introverts are always like, oh, I'm not like you. I'm like, bro, I get fucking completely disrespected for my intellect and insights because I am. Your gift is your cursed. Right. So I'm okay with that. And everybody think I'm dumb, I'm a charlatan, I'm full of shit, uh, it's, I'm not smart. That's fine. 
that's the point. I, I think leaning into your truth is the, is the best because it's the fastest and the easiest once you get over the hump. You gotta get over the hump of judgment. But once you're over the hump, then you're fast. I'm so fast because I have no time to dwell on the judgment. It's so, you know what's so fun about these things? I, I, you know, it's so funny, analyzing, the most, the reason I thought that this would be good and I would be good was how I started looking at Wine Library the first full year after I left it. It's amazingly interesting when you can look at something looking down on it versus when you're in it. It was crazy. I started like, like that first year, I stepped away for a little while, but then like the holidays came and like I wasn't fully removed and I was like, this sucks, this blows, this is shit, this is fucked up. I'm like, fuck, those are all my favorite moves. But I'm looking at it like this versus being there every day. Your thing is so easy. You have two moves. If you want America, you have two moves. You keep going or you keep interviewing to build even more leverage to then cash in or you also start thinking about distribution differently. What do you mean? Well, you know, one could argue the psychology of the end consumer in America is different on LinkedIn than it is on YouTube and Facebook and thus your accent might allude to European intellect in LinkedIn that it may not play out on YouTube. Yeah, for sure I can see that the more it's about deep knowledge, the less my accent is important. Everything's less important once people see the truth. Every, every fucking email I get is like I started off hating you until I started really listening. I just would spend, no joke, if I was your brother and we were like hanging out for the weekend, I'd be like, bro, not another minute ever in life, you're not allowed to say to me anything about an accent. You're just wasting time. That's what everybody does, you understand? I understand, I'm empathetic to it, that's what people do. They spend all their time on the thing that they can't control. I don't do that. I Good. Like just, I would like to have. No, I understand that. Less. Less, okay. You know? Yeah. Less. That's like all. Never it, now. Correct. <laughs> That's right, because it's a guaranteed variable. Mm. You know? You're, but my question is more, what could be the way to not only not speak about that, but what what I did in France, every people told me, oh, you are too young because I started when I was 20. And I used that as an advantage. I understand. So it, it's not that I didn't, it's not that I stopped to speak about it. I even, I, I, spoke, I spoke a lot about it. That's and people started to say, oh, fuck, he's, he's, and in France at that time, nobody was doing that. You're super smart. If you want to start your first video every time in America, be like, before you talk about my accent, it's the, m and 8 Mile thing, of course. If you take control of your shortcoming, it becomes your strength. And I love that idea, it's, it's one of my message. Use it's like those are. weird actors that are super ugly but they were smart enough to be like, no, no, this is my look, and they're like, oh, I'm weirdly attracted to Adam Driver, why? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I would love that for my, my audience too. To I really that. think that that's the new hack that I need to make content about. Hey. Are you really not attractive? I got an idea. You need to lean in and reverse and weirdly the confidence of not being super attractive weirdly then makes people think you are. I actually see it. It's happened a couple times. Happens to me every day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a couple more in. A little free form. We've got five to seven more minutes. Sounds good. Um, 
reconcile <laughs> for me this notion of be, be the CNN for your segment. Yep. But don't be developing selfish content that's intended to basically... Interviewing. Uh, right? Interviewing. Yeah. Who, who would you think of in my context for in the security space? Of What type of interviews would you see? As interesting. Well, it makes me think of Fox News, right? Because right? okay. those guys are always scaring the fuck out of everyone. <laughs> um, uh, look, I think I think this is what's so great. Mm-hmm. You probably have a good sense of in a security landscape who has equity. You know sure. what I always say is like, look at your B two B magazines and look at the conferences in your industry and look who's on the covers and look who are on the keynote speeches and then invite them to be on your podcast. Got it. And okay. all those people since I'm one of them, mm-hmm. always want to do a podcast. Right. Got it. Got it? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, how you map it. Okay. And then you do some Google search. Sure. Yeah. Random shit, like top 50 people in security and privacy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. It's just yep. random work. Yep, okay. You'd be surprised how many people will say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even okay. if you had, you know, again, everybody says no. Why would Sarah Magoo, the number three security person in the world, go on my podcast? I don't even have one yet. Right. Don't say no for the other person. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing I taught AJ about VaynerMedia. Because AJ's practical, which means he goes to no. Right. Because he thinks, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And he would practically look through everything and say no. I'm like, that's nice. Most people make emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a crapshoot. Don't say no for the other person. Right. The greatest accomplishment in my life is I had a super duper duper overweight nerdy friend in college and I promised him that he would get a super pretty girl before the end of college, and it was a simple game of volume. He just, I finally got him by sophomore year to ask everybody, and eventually somebody said somebody yes. Said yes. Yeah. That's life. Yeah. I thought it was getting a puppy. That works too, but, like, but it was a really interesting exercise in my thesis. There was nothing on paper that made what I saw happen, happen for any logical way, in its most narrow, animalistic way of life, and it happened because you can't say no for the other person and you have to be okay with a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. And if you're not okay with a lot of no's, you never get to that miracle. Sure. Well, as an artist, you get used to no. Correct. Yes, Everybody's used to no in certain things and not in others. I'm only used to no and love no in business, but I also didn't like asking girls out in high school. I didn't like no in that context. Right, sure. Right? So that's the thing, right? You super can have be fine in one thing, but another thing you're not as fine with, and it's just recognizing that and just going to a yes culture. It's just yes culture. That's all it is. It's just making, I, I actually think it is practical. What's, mm-hmm. What the fuck is gonna happen if you email Colin Powell mm-hmm. and he says no? Right. God forbid he says yes, you're off to the fucking races. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe he's bored today. Right. Maybe his niece said to him that he needs to get on podcasts and he doesn't know better that yours doesn't mean anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't say no for the other person. Gary, the other day, I, you know, I was pissed. I, I sent something to you as a little thank you. Yes. And they fucked up the thank you note. And I'm actually glad they fucked up the thank you note because I have been wanting to sit down with you, not for me, but to have a, a real contextual conversation about mentorship on my podcast. And I would love to, if you have time, at some point, have you come on. All right, send me an email. I'll look at you. I'm booking everything now for next year. And we got a lot of stuff going on, so I don't want to bullshit you, but no, no, I'm very open to it. Cool. I have one question. You say that we need to publish 100 pieces of content per day. Uh, right now. 100, I, right? 100. You know, like to me, I'll, you know. Yeah, it's and, not the exact number, my question. Yeah. 
I heard in one of your videos that right now you attract a lot of talented people. But like, what could be your advice to attract, uh, attract or to find talented people to do all those things when you are not at your position right now, yet? Colin Powell, by making a video tomorrow and saying I'm looking for people. D-Rock became the adjective or pronoun or noun or whatever the fuck you call mm-hmm. when everybody calls themselves a D-Rock. I wasn't who I was then. So you mean like... You've got a huge advantage. Everybody here has a huge advantage. Every 17-year-old in America and in the world wants to be a creator. People don't get it. This has nothing to do with leverage of the person. This has to do with the interest and supply of the makers. Every fucking 22 year old, hey, do you want to work at a shitty bank or do you want to work at a corporation or do you want to be a video blogger and post produce for YouTube and Facebook? They'll take fucking a fifth let. 10% are rich enough to have their parents subsidize them not making money to do it. 40% of them are smart enough to, or are ideological enough to choose happiness over more of a salary. And then 50% will say no. Not to mention, there's a lot of, my argument on creativity is about to go in another direction. I'm starting to spend a lot of time on 60 to 90. Hmm. Uh, So I think copy's super important and I have this wild ideology in my mind that there's all these retired men and women from the Mad Men era sitting in Florida and New Jersey and New York, 72 years old, bored as fuck, so tired of everybody saying to them that they, that, they can't, that they can't do anything, that they don't understand how to take a selfie. That this, that meanwhile, in the craft of wordmanship and putting together words, blow away 98.7% of the people because they have 40 years of experience to go along with their talent and would rip their arm off to come to an environment like this and work for $15 an hour to be a copywriter. I'm completely convinced and I'm going to execute on it. Correct. I believe it. You can't because there's too much scale. There's supply. No, no, not damn it. Awesome. The world is abundant. If I thought you could beat me to it, I wouldn't have said it out loud. I love the, I love the idea though because it's funny. That's that's a real challenge. Is finding good quality people who can who can write. You have the you have the people who literally wrote the greatest. You have literally you have literally the people that wrote the greatest commercials and greatest print ads of all time sitting right now. Again, let me say it one more time being made fun of for not being technology advanced, made fun of, oh grandma, you don't know how to take a selfie, you had it reversed, it took a photo of you, meanwhile, can literally write the greatest copy in the world. See, I, I tell people, I don't want copywriters, I want people who are amazing storytellers. Of course, that's what a great copywriter is. That's, I know what you're saying, you're saying the, you're saying the literal interpretation, yes. we jumped on, you mean the truth. Right. By the way, so I'm a great copywriter. I have no grammar skills. I would never get hired by JWT Gray or Vayner for that matter because I don't know how to put it together, but I know how to put it together. Well, the secret of copywriting is write like you speak. Uh, well, so there you go. Right. Mm. Instead of like a machine. Write like you speak. Yeah. Even better, the way I speak makes people do things. So thus, I, that's why my shit works. It, it, yeah, 100%. Gary, you said something about you believe in long form. Yes. More people are saying short form, short form, short form. I see long form too. What, what are you seeing for the future of that? Both will work. Six, if tomorrow I found out that Star Wars, the next one is nine hours, I would go and watch it. And if I watch a six second Vine, that's shit, I'm out in two seconds. What do you think for brands and when it, 
Both. 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 Here's how it works. For long form, back where you're at, and I gotta run after this, I apologize, but really good to see all of you guys. All you need, it's like Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club makes a video and then everybody's like, oh, I gotta make those, right? All you need is one 13-minute film that about Fiji water that actually fucking works and the whole, all this is is a sheep world. People don't think independently. They need an example. Make one video and you're off to the races. And our Dwayne Wade Budweiser video really mattered. Three minutes, 47, and that's a long form ad, uh, but I think where people get hurt, brands have spent, brands have been ripped off by fancy directors and producers to and spend, and, uh, pfft, by every ad agency, to make these kind of like documentaries. Competitive advantage. 100%, I totally, you'll appreciate this. All of it is based on merit. Nothing scares me. Make the best thing of something and you will win. The answer is yes. Just be good. That, that, that's why Facebook and YouTube and all those people get mad at me for long form because it's against their algorithms, it's against their best practices. My theory is make a video that somebody wants to watch. Do you know how many people watched my eight hour vlog in fucking Dubai? It was eight fucking hours. They're sitting watching me. This is not fucking, this is not fucking Avatar. Make shit people want to watch. Always works. Have the freedom to make something that people want to watch when you're in client services is a different game. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's where things get hurt. A lot of times clients really? get, yeah, clients get, clients get what they deserve. People hire Vayner VaynerMedia and then try to make us McCann. Everyone I'm like, what the fuck? Design, the... Everyone's a designer. Yeah, everyone's, yeah. it's all subjective, that's why. That's why. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.